I just want to say thank you again for meeting me. Absolutely. Um, so I guess my first question would be just straight away, how worried should we be that the top five bank failures in American history, three of them have been just this year, which is crazy, which was the uh, first Republic Bank, Signature Bank, and of course Silicon Valley Bank. Right, well, we saw the failure of Signature Valley Bank over in uh, early March. Uh, definitely worrisome because of the, the size of the bank. Right? Yeah. Uh, so um, I think that was uh, something like a $210 billion failure, which made it the second largest failure uh, that we've ever seen. Right. The largest being Washington Mutual back in 2008. Yeah. And they had 300 billion like assets, which was right. crazy. Yeah. Right. Huge bank, huge failure. So um, it, it is definitely worrisome. Right. Uh, we've been seeing things that are somewhat unprecedented. At least, I mean, for the last 30 or 40 years, they've been unprecedented. So yeah. um, after Silicon Valley went down, of course, we saw Signature Bank and First Republic go down. Um, there are some commonalities between the three failures mm -hmm. that we see. Right. Um, but I would say overall, uh, there's not a large cause for concern. Right? Mm -hmm. So we do have a relatively stable banking system. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't start, you know, sounding the alarm bells. No, just yeah. Yet. Yeah, I mean, but just the fact that there were $100 billion assets, $200 billion assets, and $209 billion, I mean, that's got to be a little worrying, some, especially when two of them were literally two days later after the other one. So, I mean, and this has, uh, this was just... Um, like the first like major failure since 2008. So I was just curious if that should be like alarming since 2008 There was a huge financial crisis, of course. Yeah, you know, the the, the financial crisis that we saw in 2008 was uh, Different than the one that we see. Now. Yeah, how so? So um, in 2008 we saw at least on the asset side of the balance mm -hmm. sheet of, of these banks um, a lot of non-performing assets, okay. right? So mortgage-backed securities uh, non-performing loans um, lots of defaults, right? And right. That had a huge effect on the asset side of the balance sheets of these banks and that's one of the major reasons why these banks failed okay right? yeah nowadays what we're seeing is something different um we see so we've been seeing interest rates increasing yeah, yeah. at a that's relatively fast fast pace yeah yeah um, to combat the inflation right exactly so we've been in this period of of high inflation mm -hmm. and um to combat that we've got monetary policy measures that we can implement and we also have fiscal policy measures that we yeah. can implement. So the Fed is responsible for monetary policy. Right. So they've been increasing the interest rate mm -hmm. to try to slow down spending. The the thought process there is if you increase the interest rate, you make it more expensive to borrow money. If yeah. it's more expensive to borrow money then people borrow less. Right. And if we borrow less, we spend less, which you know releases the pressure on prices to continue going up. Yeah. Right. So we've been seeing the interest rate going up aggressively in right, the last yeah. six to nine months. Yeah. Um, when I say aggressively, you know, we're, we're comparing to the 2006 to 2008 time period. We're mm -hmm. comparing to also two, three years ago. Um, what we usually saw was a quarter point to a half point increase every every time the, the Fed made an announcement regarding a rate change. Right. What we saw um, recently um, at least when the Fed started to increase interest rates was three quarters of a point each time. Right? Yeah. Okay. So three quarters of a point, three quarters of a point, three quarters of a point. Okay. Um, so an aggressive increase in interest rates. Yeah. And <clears throat> what happens then, so banks are exposed to what's called interest rate risk. In fact, okay. any any investor who invests in bonds or right. or who issues loans yeah. are exposed to what we call interest rate risk. And the fundamental concept there is that when interest rates go up, mm -hmm. prices go down. Okay. Oh, now, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the reason why is because, so 
you know, we're, we have to think about it and you know, we have to compare um, fixed income securities that have already been issued mm -hmm. to fixed income securities that are being issued now. Yeah. When interest rates go up, the securities that are being issued now have to have a higher yield, so a right. higher return, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. because one of the layers of the return is the risk-free layer, which is essentially determined by what the Fed has done, right? right? So yeah. by, by risk-free rates, um, which we know has been, they have been increasing. Yeah. So when rates are going up now and the the returns on new securities are higher than the previous securities, right. um, there has to be an adjustment to those securities that have been previously issued to, yeah. so that the return is the same for right. two securities that exhibit the same amount of risk. This right. is called a no arbitrage condition. Okay. So in order for that to happen, the price has to go down. Okay. Because the redemption value is something that's fixed, right? We call yeah. it the par value of the bond. When the bond matures, you get back a certain amount. Right, yeah. Um, there's a coupon that's fixed. That can't change. Okay. Um, the only thing that can change after a bond has been issued is the price. Okay. So if interest rates are going up yeah. and yields are going up, right. the only way for the yield of existing fixed income securities to go up is for the price to go down. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's called interest rate risk, um, and it's a lot more pronounced with securities that are long term. Okay. So like yeah. think of twenty, you know, twenty thirty year bonds. Right. Yeah. Um, when we have long term uh, fixed income securities. Uh, uh, and interest rates are going up, the net price decrease is going to be a lot more pronounced. Right. And that's exactly what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. And just to go I mean, more into detail with uh, Silicon Valley Bank, so President Biden said he was going to bail out all the depositors, right? Right. Even though all the depositors there were not insured, why are we like bailing that? There's no like right situation, I guess. But if they're not insured, why are we giving like... And where is the money coming from also, honestly? So I don't think we realize really how how fragile the banking system can right. be. Yeah. Um, when we think about the model, the business model that, that a bank follows, right? yeah. you, you, you deposit your money, mm -hmm. the bank makes a prompt, you get a small return on your deposit, right? Like, you right. Know, let's say it's, I don't know, half a percent. Right, right. Okay, yeah. quarter of a point, whatever it is. Um, and then the bank tells you, okay, you know, you can withdraw your money whenever you want at right. par, right? Okay. At par meaning, if you put in a thousand dollars and your your checking account has a thousand dollar balance, yep. at any point in time you can go in and you can take out that thousand dollars. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's unique. At least you know when we compare it to other investment vehicles that we have. You know that we don't have right. that type of arrangement with with stocks. We yep. don't have that type of arrangement with bonds. You know, when we invest in those securities, we accept a certain amount of risk, and we also even accept the possibility that we could lose our entire investment. No. Right? Yeah. So that's not the case with banks, right? We put okay. our money in. The bank says you can take it out at any time yeah. at par, right? Now, what do they do with that money when we deposit it? They lend it out. They yeah, they, they lend it long. We say they lend long, then long and borrow right. short. Yeah. So borrow short meaning we have a deposit. The deposit is there. It's relatively liquid. At least it's supposed right. to be liquid. Yeah. And they take that money and they invest it into a security that's more long-term in nature, right? Yeah. Now, this can create issues for the bank, right? right. If everyone all at once says, hey, I want my money back. Right, yeah, when so, people panic and everything. Exactly, we yeah. call that a run, a bank run. Okay. So, you know, the, the bank doesn't have 100% of the deposits on hand at all. Time. Right, they're, right. They're loaning a certain amount. We have capital reserves, you know, reserve requirements in mm -hmm. place. But uh, nonetheless, you know, if everyone comes at once and asks for their money, right. clearly that's going to be a big, big issue. So um, <clears throat> so one way that we can we can sort of alleviate the the risk of a run is to provide deposit insurance, right? Okay. The FDIC 
now insures up to two hundred fifty thousand right, dollars, yeah. and that is meant specifically to prevent a bank run because um, a bank run can take a problem which is moderate or right. even somewhat bad and make it really, really bad. Yeah, if you know, psychology takes over. Right. Everyone who's a depositor at our bank says, "Oh my God, this guy's taking their money no, out. Yeah. Take my money out, so he's going to take." So if everyone takes their money out all at once, we got a huge issue. Right. Um, but if I know that my deposits are insured, then I can sit back and say, "Okay, it's fine. I'm below two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is the right. FDIC limit. Um, therefore, you know, there's no real urgent need for me to go and yeah. get my money out of that bank." Right. So. <clears throat> Deposit insurance is already, you, you can kind of think of it as a subsidy to the bank. Okay. It's a mechanism that's in place to ensure that deposits remain stable, mm -hmm. um, that prices remain stable. Yeah. And the reason why um, the government went in and said, you know what, we're going to insure all of the deposits. Yeah. Is because they wanted to provide reassurance to the American public that their deposits are safe. They didn't okay. want to create a frenzy. Right, and, right. You know, they didn't want to create a situation where they said, you know what? We're going to stick with the two hundred fifty thousand right. dollars. Everything else is gone. Yeah. Because then what happens is everyone else who has uninsured deposits mm -hmm. at a financial institution in, in the country may now be thinking about whether or not they want to withdraw that money from their bank, right. whether or not that right. bank is doing poorly. Yeah. No. Okay? Yeah. When we think about the deposits that are in banks right now, approximately half, a little less than half, yeah. are insured. Yeah. So more than fifty percent are uninsured. Okay. And that could be a really big issue. Right. right. So they're they're above that two hundred fifty thousand dollar limit. So right. that's why the the government went in and said, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna make sure everybody is whole." Yeah. With regards to Silicon Valley Bank, and the banking system, uh, fundamentally speaking, is still quite healthy. Right. And quite sound. Yeah, and that's I mean, but doesn't that almost promote a risky behavior of investing? Because if if every big bank that like was that size started investing and like started like not gaining their investment back won't they think that the government will just come in and bail them out then if like they did this with uh silicon valley bank so this is a situation that i think is quite unique yeah I don't, they don't do that with every bank right um, we've let banks fail in the past without mm -hmm. guaranteeing um anything above the fdic limit yeah um i think the important fact is that we're at the beginning of you know whatever ha whatever's happening right now right we've seen three banks fail um and the you know nobody wants to see any more banks fail. the, the right. people who run those banks don't want their banks to fail yeah. um, uh, one of the things that you could probably also mention is that all right you know why don't we increase the FDIC limit right, right? why don't we go to 500,000 or why don't we go to a million or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever the number is of course if we start increasing the guarantees yeah. you know ex ante and saying all right we're gonna provide more and more insurance then you know that will of course increase the the risk of moral right. hazard yeah, you know, then you might have some bankers who can say, who'd say, "All right, let's take more risk." Right, right. Um, and I don't think we want that. Right? Yeah. So, so um, I think the move was the correct one. Yeah. Uh, to get ahead right at the start of the contagion, and to say, "Okay, let's try to make everything fine." You know, everything's fine here. Mm -hmm. Let's let's you know uh, try to you know calm down the panic. Um, the 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 banks are fundamentally sound. Right. Right. It's you know really the, the the key issue is trying to avoid the bank run. Yeah, and I know Silicon Valley Bank during COVID they were pulling in a lot of money since the interest rates were yeah. low during COVID, yeah. and then what 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 exactly happened to make them fail? Was it just kind of the risky investing? And then if so, then why again are we 
like bailing them out if it was their fault. Here's the rub. I, Silicon Valley Bank was not doing anything really materially wrong right. with their business model. Um, um, you know, last year we had this sort of these recessionary pressures. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, of course, during that time period, you know, companies, especially young companies that mm -hmm. are growing, um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna get low on cash and they're gonna want to draw down on the cash that they have deposited at banks. Yeah. You, the unique thing about Silicon Valley Bank is that um, it was the, the bank of choice for uh, for small companies, growing companies. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, in the in the, the San Francisco area. Yeah, with know, all, all the, the tech companies. All the yeah. tech companies, the VCs, everyone, they all had their money there, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, so they began to draw down on on their cash. Okay. Which is something normal that, right. that companies do during that time, and. Um, then Silicon Valley Bank reported at the end of last year that they had to sell some of these securities that had gone down in value right. um, to, to sort of meet that demand for, for deposits, yeah. right? And, um, you know, uh, as we mentioned before, because of interest rate risk, the, the value of those assets go down um, and people began to notice, okay, well, this is a really big loss here. How right. much are you really exposed to interest rate risk? The other thing that people didn't realize is, so two more things. Mm -hmm. One. 97% of the depositors at Silicon Valley Bank were not insured. Right, right. Huge yeah. you know, checking account. So so that's a big issue. So no, that, yeah. that, of course, creates the risk of a run because now you've got uh, depositors who really aren't sleepy. They're, they're, they're actively looking at and seeing whether or not, you know, they can access their cash. True, okay, yeah. That's one thing. The second thing, and with, this is a relatively new thing, is that, you know, um, uh, the deposits were really correlated uh, uh, in a sense that... that, that uh, we got a huge group, a community of of um, institutions in the same area, the startups, the VCs, the tech companies. Yeah. They all know each other. They're tight knit. Right. Um, and so when one thing happens, they tell each other very quickly, right, and right. you know it can it can start a contagion very fast. Yeah. Which is exactly what happened here. When we compare what happened with Silicon Valley to what happened with Washington Mutual, the run at Washington Mutual took a few weeks. It didn't happen overnight. Right. It happened over the course of a few weeks. Yeah. At Silicon Valley, there was it was a Thursday afternoon. Mm -hmm. uh, there were forty-two billion in redemptions requested. So right. Uh, people yeah, that's yeah. 42 I saw billion. that in that one day. And then yeah. and then the next day, they got requests to have another additional one hundred billion be withdrawn right and they close the bank in the morning yeah usually they they wait until the end of that you know friday and then over the weekend they try to figure things out yeah that friday morning they they close down the bank so 142 billion yeah in a day right which is just crazy yeah because they don't have the that. cash on them of course yeah exactly yeah so so this was something this was the unique thing about silicon valley bank that 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 made you know they didn't do anything fundamentally you know right. they weren't so they weren't like FTX, for example. No, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no. There was no fraud. No, yeah. I mean, there may have been some, some, some financial losses, but nothing right. really unique or different. Um, um, really, the key there is that, you know, we saw, um, we underestimated the interest rate risk okay, at, at yeah. Silicon Valley Bank, um, and we also under underestimated the liquidity risk, right? right. The, the, the the their ability to provide liquidity when depositors demanded it. Yeah. So I heard a term come up uh, when I was researching this. So what is the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act? Yeah, Dodd-Frank was implemented in, in the wake of 2008 um, uh, to try to, to, um, to uh, get rid of the, the banks that were too big to fail. Right? Okay. So, so we had this notion before 2008 that 
that there are some institutions that are too big to fail that can create moral hazard, right? Right, yeah. Because then, you know, they have to be rescued if things go wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, so Dodd-Frank was implemented to kind of combat that. Okay, and I was gonna say, is it just American banks are failing? Since I, I saw that Credit Suisse, like in Switzerland, was just bought for a crazy amount, and then I've been seeing that the European Union, they, they keep hold, uh, holding um, conferences about like their banks, and then the uh, English banks are also like, every, and the J Japanese, like everyone's like doing bad right now, but is it, like we're like really failing, it seems like compared to all the other countries. So Credit Suisse's uh, situation is different from Silicon Valley banks. Um, it's similar in the same that that you know when when a bank is doing poorly, mm -hmm. that puts all depositors on edge, right? So right. When, when Silicon Valley, uh, uh, when Silicon Valley Bank uh, uh, went down, mm -hmm. um, or was taken over by the FDIC then then really you know depositors all over the world were kind of on right. edge right so people are looking and they're watching their banks with a close eye you know two three four years ago probably you had a lot of really sleepy depositors that, yeah that, you know you your money's in the bank you know everything's going to be fine and you don't really monitor it that closely right. but nowadays people are monitoring very very closely okay right? yeah there is no real direct obvious link between Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse. Right. I mean, maybe Credit Suisse was lending money, or, or there may have been some level of relationship there, but right. but there's no obvious sort of direct contagion yeah. between Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse. Um, Credit Suisse really for a while has been, they've, they've been undertaking a lot of risky behavior. Yeah, like uh, didn't they uh, have a huge investment from the Saudi Arabian yes. bank? Yeah, and they like stopped their investment i guess or i don't know exactly oh, so but something like that. what happened there so yeah the, the it, it had been you know a bit of a timeline you know there were kind of scandals here and there okay yeah Credit yeah Swiss i heard was, a few scandals yeah they were they were fined a bunch of money um um there were some financial losses as well you know, right. don't get me wrong but um uh, things were looking pretty poor toward, from the mid to the end of last year right so um uh, they announced the restructuring. We're going to restructure. We want to change the co the company culture. We want right. to restructure. You know, we want to make up for things and and change change our path. Okay. Then at the end of last year, they announced that um, customers had withdrawn about 120 billion dollars from the okay. bank. Okay. Right. Wow. So yeah. when you hear that, you know, again, think about you know the, from the perspective of a bank run, right? Right. So, yeah. You know, there are a bunch of other people around you taking their money out. So yeah. now, now if you know you have an account with that bank, you're going to be on edge. Okay? Yeah. Yep. So Credit Suisse wanted to raise capital. They raised, uh, uh, I think it was four billion, five billion, something like that, um, and they sold ten percent of the bank to uh, the Saudi National okay. Saudi National Fund or Saudi National Bank. So yeah. they became their largest shareholder. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now you have the Saudi ownership, uh, and then and then fast forward to March. Now Silicon Valley, right, goes under. Yeah. And then a few days after that, so everyone's on edge. And a few days right. after that. Yeah. Um, there was a, a, a conference in Saudi Arabia and a journalist was interviewing the chairman of the Saudi National Bank, you know, the guy who owned, uh, who's running the bank that owns 10% right. of Credit Suisse. And he asks him, uh, you know, if, if Credit Suisse requires more, more capital, are you in a position to provide it? Right. And his answer was, absolutely not. Okay. Were yeah. the first two words out of his mouth. And the market and then everyone reacted adversely. Yeah. yeah. They, they, the next day, uh, basically, the the Swiss the Swiss uh, central bank announced that they were providing a fifty billion franc liquidity line. Right, and then they told, they privately told Credit Suisse that they have to merge 
with UBS right, yeah. by that following Sunday. So three three days later. Yeah. Um, and yeah, everything happened very quickly there. So. Yeah. And then UBS, so they, they bought Credit Suisse for 3 billion Swiss francs or like 3.3 billion USD. Right. They were worth around 500 billion Swiss francs. So I was curious, do, do they just kind of want to get out and get some like money for their shareholders? Or is it like, why is why do they lowball so much? Is uh, so, it really just because they're failing? So you have to make a distinction between the value of the equity and the value of the assets. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know how much the value of the assets are for either bank, but um, I, I assume that, that the number that you have there is the value of the assets, yeah, not no, necessarily yeah. the value of the equity. So the equity gives you the voting rights, gives you the, okay. the you know, the access to the assets of the company, right. you know, after debt holders have already been taken care of. Yeah. Um, that number is typically a lot, a lot lower than the than the number on the assets of the bank. So, so when you acquire a company, you acquire the equity of the, of that company, right? And then you also get with it not only the assets but also whatever liabilities that they have. So, including yeah. deposits. Right. I was curious. Is there, is there like a monopoly going on? Since I know, um, I think it was Signature Bank. They were bought by J.P. Morgan, and then now I forget who bought Silicon Valley Bank, but I think it was First System Bank. Did they buy or? I don't remember. But uh, so they were bought right by another big bank, and UBS just bought Credit Suisse, uh, Swiss or Swiss, yeah. So I mean, I was curious: is there like a huge monopoly going on? So bigger banks are buying huge banks, so it's just becoming a huge, like. Is it kind of scary how big banks are getting I think, now? I think everybody would agree that we want competitive banks. Right. Yeah. And I think if you asked uh, Swiss regulators a few months ago. Right. If they would allow a merger between UBS and Credit Suisse, I'm pretty sure the answer would have been absolutely not. Yeah. Right. They want they want, you know, competition. They have their two big banks, and they're perfectly fine with that. Right. Um, however, in in light of the of the you know the the critical situation that that the that Credit Suisse found themselves in, um, I think Swiss regulators viewed it as a a, a you know a best case outcome to right. uh, force a merger. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it's not yet known exactly what the implications are going to be. Yeah. Right? So hopefully, you know, uh, we're not going to end up in a too big to fail situation again, or end up with banks that have too much market power. Um, uh, same same situation here um, with uh, Signature Bank. I think now under Chase, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you know, uh, I think I think really the the objective right now is to um, is to project price stability mm-hmm. to the general public. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a, uh, there, at least there was an attempt at a show of solidarity amongst, you know, 11 or 12 banks. They put 30 billion into, right. into Signature Bank to, you know, to, to try to help it. Or, or was it First Republic? I can't remember. It was yeah. one of them. Um, so, so I wouldn't be, I, I would say that that's the least worst outcome is okay. to allow, you know, these acquisitions to happen. Right. Um, it's better than, than, you know, allowing the bank to go insolvent. Right. And it's just for stability and like, for securance. Exactly. So UBS's balance sheet is now twice the size of like the Swiss economy as a whole. So which begs the question, what would uh, happen if like UBS failed now? Uh, I don't know. So, you know, uh, I think we have to, I think we have to kind of, you know, understand fully what it means when a, when a bank fails. Okay. Right? So, um, you know, when we think of bankruptcy, Conventionally, we think of you know values going down to zero, right? right? But that's in reality that's not that's not the case, yeah. right? So, um, bankruptcy is declared when a company is not able to meet its debt obligations, mm-hmm. right? So you've got you know collections coming, you know if if you know there are liquidations then 
then you have to make sure that they're done in an organized way, um, restructuring, things like that, right? Um, right? So the assets don't just disappear. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of, of the scenario of UBS just disappearing from right, the face right. of the earth. That's not yeah. going to happen. But you know, if they're in a position where, where uh, they're unable to make debt obligations, they could declare bankruptcy. Or at least I don't know what the rules in Switzerland are yeah. regarding bankruptcy. Right. You know, they're different in every jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Um, here in the United States, when you declare bankruptcy, there are different types of bankruptcy. So you can uh, do a reorganization, okay. where you know you do a restructuring of the debt and you continue to operate right. as a normal company. We saw this at the beginning of COVID with all the airlines, right? Yeah. So you could still get on a plane from Philadelphia to Los Angeles, even though American Airlines was bankrupt. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a restructuring, and then you know, uh, once the the restructuring is settled, the the company continues to operate as American Airlines as they did before. Right. So I am I'm not too too worried about it. Um, yeah. But but you know we do need to address uh, any potential moral hazard that could come from banks being too large. I think that's right. that's you know agreeable for everybody. Yeah, I was curious, just like personally, why are Swiss banks so world known? Like, I know their secrecy, and I guess is like their biggest thing. Yeah, I don't know. The, the Swiss banking sector is kind of you know, there's a lot of stereotypes associated right. with them. But uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think in reality it's it's really there. So, yeah. um, it's it's an old banking system. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they they did have some kind of tax haven sort of status in the past, where right. you know the. the they they really cherished anonymity. Those types of protections aren't really there anymore. So in reality, if you want to hide, if you want to hide your money, if you yeah. want to launder money, you don't typically go through Switzerland. There are there are other tax havens out there where it could be done more more easily. At least uh, um, out of the eye of you know uh, uh, the large regulators. So right. Um, but yeah, you know they're an old fa- uh, banking system. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know one of the largest. Uh, so they're well known. Uh, but but yeah, that's that's really it. Yeah. Um, what's like the sweet spot for, um, regulations or almost a completely free market? Since we definitely need some regulations for sure, but at what point is it too regulated or too free, too free almost in a way? Yeah. I mean, you could almost kind of compare, uh, so I'm not really a big expert on banking regulation, Mm -hmm. but, um, look at the Canadian system, for example. Uh, the Canadian system is one in which um i would say there are there are more protections Mm -hmm. so these types of adverse events don't really happen okay um the u.s system i think you could probably say that there's more dynamism okay in in the u.s system there are things that really large projects that can get financed in the united states that cannot get financed elsewhere yeah um and that has to do with with the way that the banks are regulated and with the way that the banks are organized right? right so um, there are, you know, proposals or, or, uh, there are alternatives, I guess you could call them where you make the, the asset, asset side of the balance sheet of these banks a little bit less, less risky. Right. right. Yeah. Um, the thought there is, okay, if deposits can be withdrawn at par, mm-hmm. then maybe th- that money should be invested in, in risk-free securities, right. you know, in, in things that don't really generate that large of a return so that if there is some kind of adverse event, you can liquidate and give depositors right. their money but then those banks don't make money then they mm-hmm. can't lend as much money so that's the trade-off really right yeah. you know so so you know uh i don't know what the right answer to that question right. is uh, you know what the optimal level is but right. uh um you know if you do operate in an environment where uh where banks can can conduct more risky lending then you right. do need to have make sure there are some government subsidies in place t- uh, such that the at least the deposits can remain stable yeah 
is there any relationship between the debt ceiling currently going on and all these bank failures? Because I, I, I just learned recently, actually, there's a whole grading system on the U.S. Um, credit score almost. And we, mm-hmm. we, were, we dropped from a triple A to now a double A. Mm-hmm. And I was curious, is this going to affect the debt ceiling and our just reputation as a whole? Like, will we drop even more and make it more expensive for investors for the United States? Yeah, so when... Um the, the connect so there's no like real direct connection between mm-hmm. the debt ceiling has to do with the amount that the that the treasury right. can borrow yeah um so that's you know the banking sector is independent of that they can right. they have unlimited borrowing limits or at least i mean you know it's there's no bona fide ceiling right. yeah. uh on on how much they can borrow um but what you brought up regarding a downgrade is definitely yeah. relevant uh when when debt is downgraded mm-hmm. um then the yield on on those securities needs to increase right. in order for investors to be compensated appropriately. Yeah. So uh, uh, that's just like an interest rate increase. Right. right. So if if there's a downgrade and yields need to go up, then the prices of those securities that have already been issued is going to go down. Right. right? There's going to be a little downtick. So that could be an effect. Um, um, markets are kind of preparing for this eventuality. Okay. You know, hopefully they come to an agreement and they lift the debt ceiling. Um, I think the the uh, the uh, consequences are going to be really severe. If right. So like a default, right? I think yeah. I think and I, I mean, I think politicians realize that. So yeah. But um, doesn't this almost happen every time? Like every couple of years, this kind of gets brought up. Just like elections, almost it like it just comes up and then goes away once like they figure something out and just yeah. raise it really. Yeah, uh, it's it seems like an inefficient way to legislate, but uh, yeah. yeah, we do see this periodically. Yeah, and I I always joke with my dad actually. Uh, why can't we just almost not pay the debt? Like I know, I was looking at a chart, and it's, uh, I think twenty five percent of our debt is owned by the U.S. government. But I was just curious, like, how in a way, what, like, why don't we just like kind of get rid of it almost? Or like other countries, their debt limit is so high that they'll never reach it. Why can't we just make our debt limit so high we'll never like really have to talk about it and like just let the market go up and down, up and down with interest rates and all everything really? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, I don't really want to get into politics, right? But, right. But yeah, I think the concept of the debt limit was to sort of limit the spending, limit government spending, but it was right. done in a careless way. At least, uh, uh, what are the right wor- right words here? Um, you know the debt limit. The, the the debt level is going to naturally increase with inflation. Right. Yeah. Right. So you know when you look at the debt level now and compare it to the debt level in 1950, you can't really make a direct comparison. You have to right. make an adjustment for you know the the change in the value of the dollar. Right. Um. So so you know just naturally, if you don't really pay down right. your debt, you're gonna you're gonna hit the ceiling mm-hmm. eventually. So, um, um, so that's one thing. The the other thing is you know. I'll turn the question around on you. So, you know, if you have debts, why why don't you just not pay them off? Because I guess they could seize stuff. They could come after you, like the IRS. But I mean, when it's like the United States, I'm not. Again, I I joke around with this, but um, like we're like like the United States. If they just say we're not gonna pay you guys back, like I mean, what would be like the worst consequence? So there's one you consequence know? that you didn't th- mention. It's you know, your 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 credit your credit score is gonna go down, right? If you don't yeah. pay your debt. Your credit score is going to go down. Right. It's going to become a lot more difficult for you to borrow money in the future. Yeah, uh, you know, capital markets really, really are, are really well oiled here in the United States. Right. right? Uh, so you know, if we don't have access to capital, mm-hmm. um, it's going to really uh, dampen our ability to expand. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's all kinds of reasons why people need access to capital. Right. No. I right. Mean, it's yeah. like you know. 
I'm a company and I need to make payroll and you know but whatever I have a tiny shortage right, for this yeah. week so I got to borrow money I got to draw down on my whatever you know mm-hmm. so um, you know the 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 U.S. defaulting on their debt will have a systematic effect over yeah. all of that um, so it's something that we don't want to see yeah um, you know we we should be paying off our debt and even to you know borrowing more to pay off debt that's that's you know, maturing now right that's something that we've been doing for a long time and uh, you right. know, as long as you can make interest payments on it that's fine you yeah. can do that companies do that too yeah so you know debt that is not a, a a bad thing debt helps us get things done now yeah. and you know move the the payment obligation to later time periods so um you know we can't just let our debt default uh, right, it right. would it would it would cause a really big downgrade in our credit rating and it would make it a lot more expensive to borrow money in the future right, right. Yeah. And this isn't this question is actually is like not related to banks at all, but the Chinese and Russian economic alliance, BRICS, mm-hmm. how worried should the US government and just like Americans be like with their backed cuz their 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 new currency that they're trying to make is going to be backed on gold when the US dollar is of course not backed on gold anymore. So how worried should the US government like the dollar like value be? Like um I did my master's degree in international economics. I'm trying to think back to you know some of the stuff that I learned back then. Yeah. But uh uh you know the U.S. dollar is is uh, we have this reserve currency status, right? Um, and that 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 has been challenged in the past, mm-hmm. or you know at least in recent time, uh, there have been challenges to that. Uh, but right. but you know we we are in a really favorable position um, where many countries have debt denominated in U.S. dollars, mm-hmm. and when we borrow money, we don't borrow it uh, denominated in foreign currency. Right. We we borrow it denominated in U.S. dollars. Yeah. Um, as long as that remains the case, you know, I think things will be fine. If okay. there are alternative currencies out there, if there are alliances between China and Russia and South right. Africa, or, or you yeah, know, um, then I think we, will, you know, things will continue to be fine. Right. Um, uh, you would really need to see huge changes for for um, for everyone in the world to mm-hmm. to shift borrowing to a, another currency. Right. Um, um, so I, I don't know if really that's a gigantic risk or mm-hmm. if, at least if that's a huge macro risk i don't know um, yeah. uh, we are we are in a favorable position right with our with our currency yeah and just to wrap it all up um do you think all the bank failures is really just because of risky investments from the banks no i wouldn't say it um that you know it the the, the fundamental the fundamental business model that banks follow here you know is, is to borrow short lend long right and the when they lend long they're not necessarily doing so in a really overly risky way i mean mm-hmm. sometimes they do yeah um, but i don't think that's really the case with with any of these three banks that failed okay, recently really. yeah you know at least we can't look at it with a with a really close you know magnifying gl- glass and say like oh you might be able to find some things here and yeah, there that were poor investments yeah. but but overall i mean you know we didn't see anything really egregious um, right uh, you could argue that um that maybe there should have been more oversight from the Fed. Maybe there should have been more oversight from regulators. Uh, you know, how could they miss this thing from happening? Right. Um, you know, it's an unprecedented event. We yeah. see interest rates going up like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Correlated deposits. Mm-hmm. You see contagion really sparking quickly nowadays in in this new social media uh, based uh, economy. Uh, yeah, you know, I think the, the the one big investor, Peter Thiel, he he took his mm-hmm. money out really quickly, and then things spread from right. there. Yeah, uh, you know, so I think those are really the big issues that we have to kind of focus on. It's like, okay, yeah. when we're in this environment where interest rates are going up, mm-hmm. we know that um, 
that a lot of these assets that are on the balance sheet are going to be lower in value, at least mark to market. Right. Um, so what sort of liquidity needs do we need to think about in, yeah. that, in, in that environment? Right? right? Do we need to put a little bit more aside? Do we need to think of additional insurance? Do we need to think of a different way to kind of handle this case so that depositors aren't, aren't uh, frazzled? Right. Um, I, think, yeah. I think you need to think about that. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily point my finger at the at the you know at the investments that that these banks made that they were overly risky. I think right. it was a different a different story this time. Yeah. And final final question. Um. So you just mentioned how the banks should have probably had a little more oversight from regulators, and then I keep hearing they were closed by regulators, seized by regulators. Who are these regulators? Is it like the FDIC, like people that work for them, or like like that? FDIC, and then it's like you know where are the banks? Each state has their own. Um, um, you know, uh, Department of Finance, right? right? So the, the California Department of, of Banking or Department of Finance, whatever the, yeah. the name is, mm-hmm. they, they are the ones who take over. So they're um, basically just like go in and just like shut it down, really? Yeah, I don't know on a micro level exactly how yeah. it works, but, right. but that's that's who does it. Okay. Yeah. Does a bank have any say or like does the U.S. government say like you got it like you're done kind of thing? Uh, the authority is that state authority that says we're going to shut it down. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, having me. Yeah, no problem. It was a a pleasure. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much.